Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Weber. I appreciate you tuning in. I know it's been a little while. It always seems like I'm saying that, but uh, life has always seems to be getting in the way of um, doing these podcasts, though I do think about them frequently, weekly as, as it might be, and uh, I appreciate the people that send in emails and, and uh Contact me on Facebook and other social media outlets and let me know what they think about certain things. So I, I do really appreciate that. My baseball season starting up uh, this next week, and um, I'm excited for it, as I'm sure you guys are excited for your seasons to start as well. I hope for the weather to be good. I hope for some of my uh, assignments that I'm excited about that they don't get rained out. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like all my assignments, I guess. But, you know, there are a few that are a little bit... A little bit uh, more high profile than others that I hope um, take place and don't, you know, have a snowstorm or something like that. So I've got a few interesting things for you this week. Of course, I'm answering a few um, uh, emails, um, and that's usually what I've been doing lately. Is I get your email and, and I save them all and I try to answer them within the podcast. So um, you'll see some of those as well. I've got three of those. I talk a little bit about uh, a specific thing with three man mechanics. Um, I did some training sessions with some newer umpires for my high school association, so I'm going to talk about uh, some of the things that came out of that. I had uh, uh, another email about uh, a chirping coach, you know, in a particular scrimmage that uh, I'm going to address that. Talk about working the wedge. Um, I've talked about that before on the show, but I think it's always a good thing to uh, reiterate and go over again here as the season's starting for many of us out there. And the biggest thing I've got is from our online Zoom meeting for my local high school association, which uh, obviously I, I do a lot with. Um, I it's um, Our training is led this year by Mike Duffy, who is a College World Series umpire here from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, in this uh, meeting, we uh, had a little session and talked with one of our members, David Hedges, who attended Wendelstadt this, uh, this earlier this year. He's a retired guy that decided to go down there, and he wants to be a, a much better high school and maybe even college umpire at some point, but right now high school umpire. And um, he talks all about his experiences. So I um, had uh, recorded that Zoom meeting, and I pulled the, the audio from it. And you guys can listen to that. I think he does a great job explaining his experiences. you also hear on there another umpire from our association, Dan Ripma, who um, many years ago himself attended pro school, so he asked a couple of questions as well. So um, kind of, I guess, a guest interview. I've got three people on there that um, are from my area that are interesting guys that I think that you'll enjoy that conversation and and make you think about a few things, and maybe some of you might want to consider going to pro school at some point. I know I would like to, but it doesn't really fit in my teaching schedule for sure. I've been very busy uh, assigning baseball games, um, I, you know, do all the sub-varsity assigning, uh, high school assigning here in uh, West Michigan. Well, for almost all of West Michigan. There's a few other guys, too, but I do a majority of it. And to help out with some of the varsity stuff. And it's been tricky. I mean, we are um, we are low on umpires. And uh, I try to get two guys on every game, but it's been, um, it's been a struggle. And definitely some of my freshman games are going to be solo. 
And there might be some games that need to be moved because there's nobody available, particularly some of the freshman games. So I've got a couple dates there that is still a struggle. But the way signing works for those out there that do it, you know, you just keep plugging away at it. And more often than not, it usually seems to work out. But with our shortage in numbers, there might be some times where it doesn't. So I'm hoping that's not the case, but we might be moving toward that. Biggest thing out there, be good to your signers, guys. Have your availability updated. If you get assigned a game, you should be taking it. Um, don't take forever to accept or decline games. Um, be the guy that you would want uh, umpire to be if you were assigning. Get too many guys. I get guys, man, that weeks it takes them to accept games. Um, they are they don't communicate well. They they don't check their email or whatever they're doing. I don't know, man. It just doesn't make any sense to me and frustrates uh, you know Bruce Stone, the assigner that I work with as well, very much so. And he even sees that sometimes in college baseball when he's assigning that. So it happens at all levels. But don't be that guy. That's the biggest thing. Okay. So anyway, I think I've got some interesting segments for you, and I hope you enjoy it, and I'm happy to be back, and I will always be continuing to do this show, um, but sometimes, I mean, I'd like to do one a month, but it doesn't always seem to work out that way. Uh, I'll see what I can do, all right? Sit back and listen to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. So I got an email from Andrew Tedesco, and he said, Hello, Kevin. I'm brand new to being an umpire. Welcome, Andrew. Um, Currently in class and have yet to work a game. Your podcast has been such a great help to me. It is hard to just sit quietly and read a rule book. Okay, now they ask. The music that you play between segments is so loud. Can you try to adjust the volume so it matches your voice? It's only a few seconds of music, but in the car and especially through headphones, it is quite startling. Anyway... Thank you so much for your hard work, and I will continue to listen with the intent to understand. All the best, Andrew. I, I will do what I can, okay? The the uh, music segments in between are um, from Anchor, and I use those to do the transitions, and I'll see if I can make some adjustments. No promises. Probably won't happen, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, I record it with my microphone, my pretty good microphone that I bought. It's not like it's a top-end one, but it's pretty solid. And uh, I have, you know, adjustments that I can use on, on my end for that. But the music is just like uh, pre-recorded kind of things that they have set up within the, the app that I create the podcast. So I'll see what I can do. Um, nonetheless, I appreciate your email, Andrew, and hopefully you'll keep listening. And thanks for, for listening so far. And uh, hopefully it's helpful and uh, you'll have a successful first season. So I got an email from Todd Bollinger, and it says, Hey, Kevin, just started listening to the podcast and have enjoyed it so far. I'm actually going in reverse order to get the most relevant up-to-date information first. However, I was hoping for some additional clarification on the situation I had on the October 14th, 2021 podcast, Situation 10. You indicated on his stride the batter had his foot on the ground but completely outside the batter's box but also indicated he hit the ball legally. I'm trying to understand the question a little better. If he hit the ball legally, his foot couldn't be on the ground completely outside the batter's box. And if it was completely outside the batter's box when he hit the ball, he would be ruled out 
Rule 732. Fed rules here, guys. Hope you can clarify a little bit better. Thank you, and thank you for the podcast. Well, thank you for listening, Todd, and um, I guess you can listen to it in any order you wish. I don't know if everything's always relevant um, with the newer things, and there probably are a few things, but I'm sure some of the older podcasts have some very good things, too. Um, anyway, that was a, a, a bit of a weird, uh, weirdly written question, and I believe the way I understood it, yeah, I mean, if his foot came down, completely out of the box, and he hit the ball, um, then it, you're right, it would not be legal. But I believe he's making contact uh, with the ball, kind of like, you know, Mel Ott style, I guess, you know, with his foot a bit up in the air. But his stride does come down outside of the box, and then the ball bounces up and hits him while he's in the box. So you only have to have one foot in the box if it's going to be like a foul ball, you know, it hits you in the box, right? You don't have to be completely out. Um, you'd have to have both feet out and be in fair territory and the ball hits you and then you're out, right? So I believe that's what the ruling is, but it is not a very well-written question. I will definitely 100% give you that, okay? That's the way I interpret it because when I read it the first time, I was a little confused as well, thinking, well, if his foot's completely out there, it's like, you know, either you can be, you know, stepping on the plate, stepping outside, you're in fair territory, then I believe that's what it is. So they're saying he when he hit it. So to me... I guess I'm just um, insinuating into it that his foot was up in the air. It doesn't say that, um, but that's the way I interpret it. That's a weird thing, and I guess that's a complete judgment call as well. It's one of those things, if you've ever called that or had somebody that called it, I mean, I've called it too. You're right on top of it. You can see what's happening and see if the player is um, you know, out of the box or not. Or like if the guy's bunting and his foot's on the plate and that kind of stuff. I've been on the working the bases when um, my partner has called that. And, you know, when you're 100 and whatever feet away, you can't see that very clearly. But I assume every time, if, if i got a partner calling that play, he's right on top of it. And he must be 100% sure that that's what it is. Even though you always seem to get an argument about the, the particular play. So, um, yeah, that's, it's kind of a, it's not really a tricky call i guess because you do have a pretty good view of it but it's a tricky one to sell i guess to uh the the coach that it's going to be going against if they want to come argue about it but basically i say hey i'm right on top of it i saw that 100 percent. that's exactly what it is i'm 100 percent confident in this ruling you know and then just go with it and uh get 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 the game going right don't let the guy argue it forever so hopefully todd that um answered your question a bit but i i definitely see where you're coming from and uh, I hope you enjoy the other episodes, the past episodes, um, as much as hopefully you've enjoyed the, the ones you've listened to so far. Thanks. So thanks, everybody. I'm Dave Hedges, and uh, I've been asked by Bruce and Nick and the guys to just talk about my experience that I had down at Wendelstadt this year. Um, I went to the 2022 Wendelstadt full pro course for four and a half weeks. And the reason I went to is I just wanted to learn uh, as much as I possibly could. Um, been umping for three years and going to clinics with West Michigan and, and uh, just really thought if there was a way that I could learn more, I'd really try it. And I'm retired. So I had the opportunity to actually take the time and spend the money and run down there. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal time. Uh, it's split up. The first two weeks are 
for the beginners, I would say, and they basically just really reset you all the way back to the very first thing. We go through all the rules of the rule book um, every day for the first 25 days. And so starting with, you know, baseball is a game between two teams of nine players and uh, just going all the way through uh, the entire rule book. Morning session started at 730 at 730 in that classroom uh, with 192 students this year. So there are 192 of us from all over the world. There were some guys from Belgium, from England, from Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, Africa, and then all the U.S. and Canada, and uh, a couple of guys. Yeah, that was it. Uh, everybody pretty much all on the same page, all trying to get better. A uh, lot of people looking to get pro jobs. Obviously, that's the intent. One of those is if you want to get a job in, the ma in Major League Baseball, you go through this uh, course and then get invited to the advanced observation course. And at that observation course, then they pick the best guys to go. This year, there were seven people that got jobs in minor league baseball uh, out of the 194 uh, that went through the program. So it was, uh, it was awesome. Uh, afternoons were all on the fields. We had cage work. Uh, we'd have simulated games. We'd have innings. Uh, innings were where umpires were playing the field, umpires were pitching uh, soft toss behind an L screen, and uh, we'd have a base umpire and a plate umpire, and we would uh, umpire uh, every play that came along, and there was direct instructional feedback from uh, major league umpires, uh, minor league umpires uh, that were on the fields with us. We'd usually have uh, at least four, sometimes six uh, instructors on the field with us and so there's two guys that are uh, umping and you're getting feedback from usually two or three guys uh, that are coming and uh, helping out all along the way so it was really really awesome I'd encourage anybody if you get a chance to do it uh, strongly you know recommend it I learned a ton uh, you, you learn the footwork uh, for all of the mechanics you learn um and they teach everything is two-man. All of the two-man mechanics are what's used in minor league uh, baseball. Uh, and so starting with uh, the rookie ball and going to low A and then double A and high A and then triple A. And I think at triple A, maybe they go to three-man, but it's all two-man mechanics. So it really applies to what we have to do. Uh, and you really get to learn all of the OBR rules. And then you can discern what the differences are for the high school rules. Anybody have any questions? So how many hours a day? Uh, we'd start uh, up class at eight o'clock in the morning. We'd get back to the hotel by six o'clock. Um, it was about a 10 minute drive from the hotel. So you can imagine it was a full day. And then uh, every night we'd have testing from eight o'clock until 10 o'clock at night online testing uh, for the topics that were covered in that day. And then we'd have, uh, I guess, three times a week, we had uh, written quizzes. And on Saturday, we had uh, written tests on Saturday and then a final exam at the end. And they add all that up and you have to score at least 70% uh, 
in order to be qualified to get a recommendation to go to uh, Major League Pro School. And uh, that was uh, a lot of head knowledge poured in over a one month period of time. And then the field work uh, was all repetitions. And so, you know, when you're out on the field in the either the A, the B or C position, you're performing uh, and your crew uh, so there might be 15 other people that are in line ready to go for the next rep. You're doing mental reps when you're in line watching. You sometimes even physical reps uh, spread out on the field and getting feedback. And so you're really getting, I would say, five, 600 reps every day uh, for a month on all of the uh, two-man mechanics at every position in every circumstance and they throw the book at you. I mean, you're at the plate umpire. Uh, there's catcher's interference, uh, a balk, uh, an obstruction uh, between second and third with an overthrow going out of play. And then they ask you to blow that up and explain to the coach what you've got and place all the runners. And so it gets to be pretty intense. Um, and uh, they help you through it. But there's complication they, they throw as much as they possibly can at you knowing that you're really never going to see that you know in a high school game all of that thrown together but we did have ryan addington who was the plate umpire for the pittsburgh pirates chicago cubs game with javi baez going up to first base and back he was the plate umpire uh for that and so he he uh explained to us what was going through his mind when that was going on and uh, the biggest thing he wanted to make sure it happened was that Baez didn't touch home plate because he did, he wasn't sure if he knew what the right call was on that. He didn't want to have that be a strike against him because he still hadn't been called up to the majors. You know, he had done 240 games up till that point and he still wasn't a major league uh, umpire full time. He just got promoted this year, but uh, that was, uh, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. I've actually had that play happen uh, in a game. I was not the plate umpire, so I was glad it wasn't because I didn't actually know. And I don't know how many of you guys know what he's referring to. It was they the 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 runner from Chicago Cubs ran towards first base. The first baseman caught the ball up the line away from the base. Right. And um and he got basically got in a rundown between home and, and first. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically, right. Right. Bias had a sharp, sharp hit to the third baseman, third baseman threw it to first base. He was near the bag. He just had to step on the bag, but Bias stopped short of first base, looked at him and kind of deeped him. And he started following him back towards the plate. And Bias was just kind of walking back to the plate. And the pirate guy kept following him back. There were actually two outs. So all he had to do was go touch first base. It would have been done. And he followed him all the way back to the plate and then threw the ball over the top of Baez to the catcher as R3 was coming in to score, slid. And then Baez went up to first, catcher overthrew first base. And he went into second. Then the right fielder overthrew second base uh, and had the ball wound up at third. So Baez winds up on second base with two wild throws and a rundown. And he was legal to do that because he had not touched first base Otherwise, he would have been running the bases in reverse order, making a travesty of the game would have been out. But because he hadn't touched it, he wasn't running it backwards. But then comes the complicated thing. Well, what happens if he goes to first, doesn't 
um, get first base, but runs back and touches home plate. And at that point, he would have been out. And I'm not sure exactly why the ruling would have been on that, but they had talked about some intervening play, and it was beyond my over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's, it, is, it is a third-world play. I've had it once. Um, and again, I was not the plate umpire, but it, it was a runner on first, guy bunts, and they um, – they throw it, the, or the first baseman, I believe, picked up the ball and could have just turned around and walked over and touched first base, but she didn't. He followed the guy up the line, he threw it to catcher, catcher threw it back to the first baseman, and all this time, the runner who was on first base ended up at third. Yeah. They finally tagged him out, and the coach was furious because he said that's abandoning, and it is not, because as long as he doesn't touch the plate or go beyond the plate. So if he misses it, it goes beyond the plate. He would also be out. Yeah. Um, so if that, well, man, you, you'll be a hero because you have, you'll have the right call. Nobody will know what it is. But yeah. you will know. The last thing I'd say, Mike, is this, is that there were uh, two guys that were there that were 75 years old. Uh, one of them, uh, Dave Chopek is still doing SEC games, uh, division one, um, there was a 75 year old guy that is doing JV high school ball. There were a couple of guys that were in their mid sixties and then me at 60. So we had, I think six of us at 60 and over, and then probably 15 that were in their fifties and the rest of them were all 18 to 30 year olds that were all looking for jobs. But as the, the old guy, the ARP group, we had an absolute blast. Um, it's very physical, very demanding, um, but it was, it was worth every penny of my time and, uh, investment that we put into it. So I'd encourage you, if you get a chance to do it, don't think you're too old. Um, we'll probably be going back again, uh, just to do it again and again. Hey what Dave, the, how old, how old was the oldest, uh, umpire there? I mean, excuse me, how, how old was, uh, the oldest umpire that, that you think officially got a job in the minor leagues this year? You know, oh, oh, they there was a guy, one of the guys um, was, well, the oldest one was in their 20s, uh, probably 28, I think. And uh, we one of the old guys in the second week, we got a letter that said, if offered a job in pro ball, would you accept it? And we had to sign that thing. Yes or no. And I said, there's no way, because the the timing of this thing is you go through this school um, you get selected to go work in minor league ball. You're going to work seven years before you get your first opportunity to do a major league game. And then it may be up to another seven years before you actually make it to the pros. And so realistically, you need to be in your 20s so that you're going to be 35 when you do get called up to the bigs. So there's, uh, they wouldn't say that you were too old because they can't. They also can't tell you you're too fat like I am but they do do body mass index uh, and they do full physicals, uh, full blood work, full medical. Once you make it to the uh, evaluation clinic uh, and on that evaluation clinic, we had 28 guys from our class that made it to the evaluation. Um, and there were 12 other direct invites. So there were, there were 40 people in Vero Beach for the uh, minor league contract offers from the minor league umpire supervisors and seven contracts were offered this year 
uh, out of uh, the 40 that were invited there. And then the other guys get pushed to the Appalachian League um, and then get opportunities in the Northwood Leagues and other leagues around that are not affiliated with Major League Baseball. How much was it? Uh, I wanted a single room so my wife could fly down to stay with me. That cost an extra grand. And uh, I think for the class is 1800 and it's probably another 2000 for the hotel. So I think it's 3800 uh, total. And then I paid 48 plus the meal plan. So you can spend five grand going down there for the month. But a year in, um, they provide everything. And uh, it was it was worth every penny. It was what I made last year in my officiating. You know, I figured I'm just rolling that over into continuing education. Awesome. How many how many women did they have uh, attend the school this this particular session? They had two women. Uh, Courtney uh, was a uh, uh, she's a Georgia graduate, uh, a banker, and had worked in the banking industry for six years. She quit her job because somebody told her she should go be the first. African-American female black umpire. She quit her job, went to school, did not get selected, went to UPC, which is the umpire placement course, did not get that. She was, she, she couldn't do it. And then we had a um, immigration attorney uh, that was also there. And so there were two women that we had to go through the course. And they went, they made it through the whole thing. Very interesting. I had two when I attended in 1986. We had two women that attended as well. Um, one of them did make it, but obviously she was a waitress, about yeah. 25, but uh, she did not get a job or anything. She just went through the course. Yeah, they. I'm not sure who she is, but there is a woman that's in AAA. Um, I had worked with Tom, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that, but they, they, they're definitely trying uh, to get um, to get females involved, but at the end of the day, your body of work that you stand on the field, you know, you can't hide a good umpire and you can't hide a bad umpire. You know, that's a quote that's on the wall and, uh, you've got to be able to perform and you're competing against, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people by the time you go through all the leagues and all the people that are going through the courses, you know, on a annual basis. So they, they're, they're trying, but it's going to be a slow process. Thanks, Dave. Uh, you know, it is, I don't think people understand that process. Um, you know, it was probably the, the, if I had a dollar for every person who asked me after I did the College World Series, what's next, major leagues? I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you even know what it takes at this yeah. point in my life? I'm 57 years old and there's just no way. Yeah, my appreciation for the umpires that are in the bigs, that are in the minors, that are in the system. I mean, the guys that make it, you know, those seven guys that made it, they're going to get uh, 80 games next year in rookie ball and low ball and make $57 a game with no health insurance yeah that's that's their summer job that's the gig and then you make it for a little bit you know you don't really make any money till you get to double a and so it's you it has to be your passion and you're gonna have to go out there and do it you can i mean if you're doing it for money you're not gonna go you know 
and and it takes you 10 years so you better not have a, a wife or a girlfriend um and for all you guys out there that know matt wakowski that's exactly what he went through and he did go to the appalachian league um, wasn't there a terribly long time before he got called up into affiliated baseball where yep. he's got a contract and, and he's a guy that had a contract coming out of school um but they had if you if you watch anything about minor league baseballs they had that um they 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 cut down number of leagues and teams and so forth right. so they yep. had less spots and yep. um so yeah that it's it's a it's it's certainly a haul and i've had the good fortune to work with a lot of guys who made it to triple a uh, mark, yeah. uh, mark yule's younger brother david made it he his process was 11 years um, yeah he, he could read the handwriting on the wall and i love this story because he had spring full spring training um, which means major league um he was making about $38,000 a year as a AAA umpire. And when he got started getting full spring training, you get $38,000 for doing six weeks of spring training. He would then make $38,000 in AAA. Um, and so his last year, he, he knew he was not getting picked up by the major leagues. Still did his six weeks, got his $38,000. And he said his last game was at Target Field. Um, I think it was um, Minnesota versus uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. There were 45,000 people in attendance. And the very next weekend, he was in college baseball at Michigan State. And he said, I think there were 45 people. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Yep. Thank you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Last night, I was able to do a little training session with some of the newer umpires in our high school association. Uh, we had uh, a meeting out at uh, one of the baseball and softball training centers where they have, you know, indoor cages and fields and all those kind of things. And that's where we do our clinics and stuff. That's what we have to do here in the cold weather states for those of you that are in those warm weather places where you can get outside most of the time. So we um, did some stuff where we we're doing like, you know, soft toss into a guy doing a, you know, a catching and stuff and calling pitches and checking it out for some of these brand new guys. I've got a couple guys that I'm assigning some sub varsity high school games to that, you know, this is their very first year. So we worked on basic techniques for, um, you know, how you set up uh, in the slot and worked on head height and uh, tracking the baseball with your eyes and not moving your head and this was a bit tricky for a couple of the guys and I had a second year guy as well that um, uh, was working on that and and sometimes it was a matter of um, how they lock themselves in to um, 
to their position to be, you know, consistent um, in their positioning and where their head height is, you know, throughout the baseball game. And, you know, it's just subtle movement sometimes with their head, like their chin's going down, they're following it. And I think, I know with a couple of guys too, it's because um, their head height is a little bit lower than, you know, their chin above the catcher's head there. And they're almost uh, trying to subconsciously, I think, uh, uh, look through the catcher a little bit when they do that. So we made some good progress last night. But that is definitely something as I, you know, next week I have my first games of the season. Um, weather here is supposed to be okay, you know, maybe 45, 50 degrees, which is pretty good here in March. Um, and when I call my first plate, uh, I definitely want to con- concentrate on, you know, timing. The things I talk about with these guys, you know, the basic stuff, right? Timing, uh, slowing things down, uh, making sure I have my head height properly. Uh, positioned, uh, make sure I'm locking in well, uh, make sure I'm tracking with my eyes and you know, certainly not moving my head or anything, all those basic things. I don't care how long you've been doing this. I mean, I've been doing it a, a good number of years now, but I know some of you out there have been doing it a lot longer than I have, and I think we all have to um, to do that every year. we got to kind of go back to those basics, those things that you would teach a brand new guy. That's what you've got to do. Um so that's what I'm looking to do as well next week. So it was a good uh, learning experience with those guys. Um, you know, we talked, you know, they have, sometimes I guess you don't always think about um, the basic questions that guys have. You know, we're talking about plate meeting. Uh, you know, how you take the lineup cards. Um, what do you write on the lineup cards? Um how do you use the indicator? You know, you know. So we talked about you know not staring at the indicator and trying to be as subtle as possible with that, and those kind of things. Uh, we talked about some plays that you might have around the play as far as you know guys being in the batter's box or out when they're hitting the ball. Um, you know, a hit by pitches. You know, did the ball hit him? Did uh, did he hit the ball with his body? You know, those kind of things. Um, how you signal interference, how you signal um, catcher's interference, that is, um, or maybe even, you know, a batter, you know, that is interfering in some fashion as well. Um, And also check swings, you know, how to properly do that. You know, all those kind of things that sometimes I think uh, us veteran guys kind of take for granted. But we've got to talk about that and uh, make sure that guys uh, understand the proper way that those things are done. Um, some little things, you know, talking about called third strikes, you know, so as guys were taking, um, pitches and, you know, seeing balls and strikes and, you know, we'd have them call a third, uh, whether they're on the left or right side. And, and, uh, I've come to the understanding, um, or the opinion, I guess that, uh, I like, like one step or, or, you know, one step called thirds. I don't like a two part called third strike where you kind of do this movement and then that movement and then call it. Um, I know there's some guys that maybe can get away with that. I mean, of course, you can do whatever you want. It's your style, I guess. But I like that kind of sudden boom. You got it, whatever whatever you're doing. And so we talked about those things too and, you know, having guys go home and, you know, they got to practice in the mirror or something and see what they think looks good. You want to know that you're looking pretty solid when you make that call um, on a call third, right? And also, um, you know, being able to track the ball, you know, using a tennis ball, sitting on the floor, you know, looking up at the ceiling, like on your back or whatever, and just tossing it up and tracking it. That's a good thing to do. And I, I know that um, 
David Hedges, who I've got on the program this week, they talked about that at Windelstadt, being able to do that, which I think is a great exercise to do. Obviously, you want to do it with a tennis ball because you don't want to hit yourself in the face with a baseball or something, uh, unless you want to wear your mask, I guess. Um, but that's great because your head's going to be solid right on the floor or whatever, and uh, you can just use it for tracking, you know, tracking it just with your eyes. If you're a newer guy, that's a great thing to do. If you're a veteran guy and, you know, you haven't called some of your first games yet and you want to make sure you're using your eyes properly because that is what good umpiring is, is using our, being in a good spot and using our eyes properly. That's the number one thing. Um, then that one might be a good exercise to do before some of your first games as well. We talked about timing, you know, timing and whether it be, uh, you know, on the plate or on the bases is always important. Um, and as I share with them, Timing and being too quick is the thing that gets me in trouble 99.9% of the time. Anytime there's something that I do that I, I don't think I did quite well or maybe I messed something up, it's usually because I was too fast. I didn't let the play happen. Um, I didn't let the pitch happen, whatever it might be. And um, those are things that you know I try to pass on to guys so that, that maybe they can avoid them more so than what I was able to do. So those are a few things I took away from the, the training session last night. It was, it was pretty good, and it's always fun to give back to guys and let them, you know, you know, learn from the things that you've learned over the years and try to make them a little bit better because that's the whole point. Because, you know, I want the best umpires out there with me, and I'm sure you do as well out there. Um, so we got to help everybody along to make sure that that happens so that we're all a good team every time we step out onto the field. So for a lot of the show, of course, we talk about two-man mechanics, which is great, and that's the basis of, you know, all the mechanics build on that. Uh, but I think this is a good time to talk a little bit about something with three-man mechanics. And I think I mentioned this before, but I think it's worthwhile for those that uh, work a little bit more three-man out there. And I've been lucky enough to work a little bit more of that the last couple of years, and I've got some games this year that that will be the case. And also they're talking about, uh, I think it's, might be a done deal, but maybe next season the uh, NAIA conference that I work here in Michigan is probably going to move toward three-man, which I think is wonderful because um, I think, first, I think three-man is just fun to work, and that gives also the opportunities to guys working that to get good at it so that if you get opportunities to work some Division One baseball that uses three-man, um, then you're ready for that. And also, you're ready for um, any conference, tournament, postseason kind of stuff you might get that uses three-man. So, hopefully that goes through, and maybe some other leagues around me might do that as well. Um, anyway, one of the, I guess, one of the trickier situations for a three-man crew is when you've got a runner on third only and uh, less than two outs where that guy on third might tag up uh, on a sacrifice fly or something. Because we've got um, the third base umpire. It's trickiest most for him. He's got to decide, um, based on what the first base umpire is doing, whether he is going to stay at third and line up the tag up, whether he is going to um, come into the middle of the diamond uh, because the first base umpire is going out on the ball, or... Um, 
whether he has to go out on the baseball if he's got a ball in his area that he's responsible for, for fly balls. So he's got three decisions to make, and they have to be made based on what other people are doing, notably the first base umpire. So in this situation, um, if you're the first base umpire, you have to be very clear and have some good communication, um, eye contact and verbal and, and gestures or whatever you might want to use, and this is obviously pre-gamed kind of things, to make sure your third base umpire does not get confused and um, is able to get where he needs to be on that play. So basically, if you're the first base umpire, you're either going out on the fly ball because it's a trouble ball, or you're coming in. Um, you're not going to stay right around first base and take your uh, routine fly ball in your area. If, you, if there's a routine fly ball to right field in your area, uh, then you're coming in and uh, taking that catch-no-catch, catch, uh, coming across the diamond where you can be in position to take the batter runner where he, wherever he's going and uh, free that all up for your third base umpire. And so that should be very clear for him. If he sees you coming in uh, on a routine fly ball to the right, then he can line up that play at third base. Um, obviously, uh, if you get a trouble ball yourself that you got to go out on, you know, fair foul, uh, tricky catch, no catch kind of situation. Uh, then you got to go out hard and strong, and he knows that, and therefore he knows he's got to come across the diamond because he's got everything there potentially with that uh, batter runner, and that frees up the tag up for your home plate umpire. And then obviously, if you, um, as a third base umpire, are going to go out on a trouble ball for you, a fair foul or a tricky catch, no catch, um, then you go out hard, and you already know that you're first base umpire is going to be coming across because if he's not going out he's coming in right he's either coming he's going in or he's going out and so you don't have to worry about that that everything's going to be covered there as you go out and then your home plate umpire will line up your your tag up and you know for the runner at third base so obviously this is something that needs to be discussed in your pregame meeting but if you do it well you look like a million bucks out there and um you know, hopefully you're getting evaluated or something and they'll see that you guys have good communication and you know what you're doing and you know your mechanics well. And more importantly than anything, you're getting plays right and you're in the best spots that you can be to uh, call your ball game. All right. So those are some things to think about, um, particularly if you are working um, some three man sometime this year uh, about how you handle that runner on third with less than two outs. Okay. <music> Let's talk for a few minutes about positioning at home plate. And as I think we all can agree, getting plays right at home plate is probably the most important spot on the whole field to get them right. I mean, we want to get them right everywhere. If you kick a call at second base, somebody's going to be upset with you, but it's a guy safer out at second. All right? I mean, it might cost somebody a run potentially. But if you kick a call at the plate, it's a run or not a run, one way or the other, that you missed. And uh, that definitely is a, more of a highlighted situation that we don't want to have because those can end up in some ejections if, if it's a bad situation. So some of my veteran umpires, I'm sure, um, just like me, I guess, uh, were taught first baseline and third baseline extended positioning um, when taking plays at the plate. And um, some of you out there may still be using those techniques. And I urge you to... Um, 
do a little digging and research on wedge techniques for taking plays at the plate. And you can also use wedge techniques on other bases, but you know we usually talk about plays at the plate. I know some of you out there are already doing that because this, this concept has been around for a few years now. But uh, it's something that uh, definitely our newer umpires out there need to uh, look into. And um, it's something that we all should revisit uh, as the start of the, you know, the start of the baseball season here. So the advantages that you get from using the wedge, which I'll talk about more specifically in a moment, is you get better views of swipe tags. And that's what most of the plays at the plate have become nowadays because catchers um, are not allowed to uh, be blocking the plate um, unless they have the ball, right? Otherwise, you know, we have some obstruction going on there. Um, it also gives you better uh, views, uh, if you're doing it properly, of crash and block plays um, in front of the plate as well. And um, if you're doing it right with good timing and everything, you'll uh, have a better view of any potential drop ball. All right, you're not going to get blocked out as much and a ball might be on the ground and you don't see it because you got a bunch of bodies in your way, okay? So that's all some good stuff. Uh, hopefully that makes some of you out there think, yeah, that's good. I don't want to blow those things. So big basic things with this. You locate the ball. Uh, I've been taught that you, you start first uh, point of the plate. You, you know, um, read the throw and what's going to come in and what kind of play you're going to have. Then you position yourself maybe two to three feet um, immediately behind the catcher, um, lining up with his left hip or his glove side hip. Hopefully we don't have a, a left-handed catcher out there. <laughs> but uh, if we do that, it's going to throw a whole monkey wrench into it. But, you know, 99.9% .9 of our catchers are right-handed, so we're, we're usually good to go. And then um, as you line up and stay on his hip, you're prepared to take a final read step to see the tag being applied. Um, you know, a very purposeful step to get a, a good view of the play all right so this kind of contradicts some of our old school training where we were taught to be like four to eight feet away from the play to maybe have a wider vision of the play um, you see a lot of the wedge technique where somebody's almost really right on top of the play and, and that's okay also um, we were taught back in the day to not go into fair territory to take a play at the plate but frequently with the wedge if you're standing on the guy's hip and he's swiping and such you might end up right in front of the plate definitely in the dirt circle area out in fair territory and that is perfectly fine as well all right um it's a it can be tricky to grasp it all you know um but I always just tell myself you know I just get point of the plate read it and I stay on his hip stay on his hip stay on his hip and just keep watching, and I usually just end up where I need to be from there. So you got to simplify it a little bit and not overthink it. That's usually the case with most things in baseball, right? So um, there's lots of good YouTube videos out there. There's been some umpire groups that have done some really nice things with this, um, you know, overhead angles and all kinds of stuff out there that I highly suggest that you look at and uh, then try to work this into your game the best that you can and you'll get more plays right at the plate you'll look you'll look like a million bucks doing it as well you know it'll lead to some good evaluations for you and and most importantly you'll nail those plays and get them right even on some of those bangers that you can get at the plate using the wedge you're way more likely to get that play 
correct. And that's the name of the game, right? So I had a listener email me and he wanted to kind of remain anonymous about this particular situation. But I thought it was a very interesting situation and one worth addressing, especially with uh, our newer umpires. And uh, he wrote to me, So he said, so I was doing a varsity level scrimmage game last summer with a smart coach chirping in my ear. I was behind the plate calling what I thought was a decent zone. In hindsight, possibly a bit too big for the level. The home coach expresses concerns regarding the height and size of my zone. So I go to my partner in the field between innings and ask him how my zone looks. And he says it looks good, but you're stealing a few too many up in the zone. So I recalibrate just my head height and tighten things up a bit. Later in the game, the coach now decides to chirp that I'm not calling the high strikes anymore and uh, not, he's not consistent, which, you know, I guess maybe it looked that way, right? How would you have handled this? Should I have tightened up my zone at all? I made the proper adjustments to the zone and head height, and he then turned it around and was still complaining. I basically just ignored his comments after making my head height adjustments. Maybe he just saw the opportunity to rally a younger umpire. The opposing coach was young and experienced and was more focused on players and game, if that matters. Um, so, yeah, I understand that. Um, I think later on in the game there, since uh, he was complaining about your zone earlier, if you're going to do a ball strike warning, you got to get it done early in the game. Let's say in the first two or three innings or, or so. If uh, you don't do it, and now it's like the end of the game, let's say it's a seven-inning game, and it's the sixth inning or something, or it's the seventh inning of a nine-inning game, or whatever it is, you know, it's in the, the last third of the game, whatever that might be, you really can't do that. I mean, you should have taken care of stuff earlier. So my first suggestion is, if he was complaining about it, whether it was big or not, don't let guys complain about strike zone. Whether your strike zone is good or bad, they don't need to be complaining about the strike zone. All right? So you can say... I hear you, coach. You can give them like the initial kind of you know, off-key kind of warning. And then if it continues, then you give them the official ball strike warning where you take out your lineup card and, you know, you call time, take out your lineup card and say, this is your official ball strike warning. If you continue to argue balls and strikes, I'll have no choice but to eject you or something to that effect. Okay. And you write it down, write something down or make it look like you're writing something down. I always write down BS second inning because <laughs> you know ball strike but it is a bunch of bs too so it kind of goes with that but anyway you um need to take care of that stuff early so that's my first suggestion um if you feel like your zone is having an issue and we've all been there sometimes that's the case then you do try to make an adjustment um yeah if you were calling a pitch uh, in a certain location before and now you're not it does look inconsistent because technically it is, okay? But if you're now getting it right, then I guess that that's good, okay? I don't think it's good to call a pitch, a strike that's a ball all game. I don't see how that's good, okay? If we're making that mistake, then we do it. And, and then you got to know, you got to own that. So if you feel like, yeah, that's the case, this guy kind of has a little legitimacy to do it. If he just makes one little comment or something, that's fine. Um, if he's being a jerk about it and he's just continuing and he's kind of making a mockery of you or something like that, um, then you got to step in and, and take care of the ball straight kind of warning because you can't have that. But if it's a, a legit thing and you're like, yeah, you know, I wasn't 
I just wasn't seeing the ball well. I was having a little trouble because I'm human. And uh, I made an adjustment, but the guy has a legit beef here a little bit. And if he just lets it go, then I guess we're okay with that. So I don't really know how that was if this guy was doing it. Uh, maybe it's one of the first times he's seen you and he's testing you a little bit. Guys will do that, especially the, uh, the little bit older, more veteran coaches will do that at levels and see how you handle things. And uh, sometimes, you know, the first time you basically uh, take control, you know, I'm not saying you're going to be a jerk to him, but you're going to be like, hey, I'm not listening to complaints about balls and strikes. I'm going to call it the best I can, and that's what it is, and you just need to deal with it. You know, that's basically the message you have to give to him in a professional way that uh, that's not what we're doing. You know, you coach your team, I'll call balls and strikes the best I can, and we're going to move on from there, and, and uh, there'll probably be a few that you disagree with, and I don't need to hear about it, okay? <laughs> so that's it. Um, height, height of the zone, okay? So... Um, at most levels, at least, at least the levels I work at, you know, you got to be looking for balls below guys' hands, okay? So I don't know how high up you're getting it, but I mean, even at, like, let's say sub-varsity high school, I mean, you know, I guess if you're working some ridiculous game and it's, like, 15-2 to 2 in the third inning or something like that, um, and you're calling one that's under the armpits because you got to get some strikes, um, that's probably okay, but if it's a competitive game and the guys can throw with at least a little bit of speed here, you know, you got to keep it below their hands because that's really what they're taught to. And usually below their hands for most guys, um, especially when they're taking their stride and they're swinging, is usually the top of the strike zone, okay? And that's usually a legit spot. We frequently do miss high pitches. Um, a lot of umpires do. We don't call enough high pitches strikes that probably are strikes, okay? So that is definitely something that's okay to get those high pitches. And, and when you if you're a guy that gets them consistently and it really is a strike, um, you sometimes will get a little grief because other umpires don't get those strikes like they should. And so you're looking like you're calling a higher pitch. But if it's legit and you're consistent in getting that, then that's perfectly fine. So think about, you know, making sure, you know, you're tracking the ball well and it's below you know, the hands, and it's a legitimate pitch that you might be able to um, to hit and, you know, make some make some make something with it, okay? If you're calling it up by his shoulders or something, that's tough, especially if the guy's throwing hard. Same type of thing, and I was talking about this in my training session the other night. Um, you know, if a catcher's sticking it right at his knees and of his shin guards, that's usually about the same spot. Uh, for the batter, and if you line them all up, and those are usually strikes there. Also, uh, for the high pitch too, um, even if it's a big catcher, um, if if he's able to uh, stick that ball in front of his forehead, right in front of his mask, that's usually a good indicator of the top of the zone as well. Okay, so um, you can look for the under the hands. I don't know what what is better for you, but under the hands. Uh, the forehead of the catcher where he's sticking it. If he's not sticking it well, then he's going to lose some of those high pitches because he's making it look like a ball, right? But if he can stick it right there at his forehead, frequently, 99% of the time, that's a strike. And that's usually at the top of the zone. So those are a few things to uh, think about there. But very good question. And uh, that's something that's tricky for a lot of guys, you know, and something that everybody's dealt with. So um, nothing to be... Uh, you know, I guess embarrassed about or anything like that. That's uh, what we got to go through to become better. All right. Thanks for the question and sharing that with me. Well, there we go. Or you got another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast in the books. 
Once again, thanks for sticking with me and listening all the way through because you got to this point, man. You've been listening for a little while, and hopefully you um, enjoyed uh, this particular episode. Um, like I say, the goal is always to get uh, an episode or so a month, but uh, sometimes it's every three months. <laughs> Okay, um, but you know, maybe sometime I'll do two episodes in a month. You know, I used to do it, uh, try to do one a week, but that gets a little tricky. When it was um, big time COVID times and I was stuck at home on a computer all the time, I could knock out a few more episodes. But um, I'm teaching, you know, full time as I always do, and uh, I'm at school doing my thing, and other things are going on in my life, and uh, I don't always get to sit down and do these podcasts like I would like to. Um, but I will not be giving it up. I, I still enjoy it and I get good feedback from people and I know that it is beneficial to some people out there and, and there's always some new people finding the podcasts and listening to them. So I do appreciate that uh, quite a bit. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please contact me. I've got some information there in the show notes here on the Anchor app and everything um, and the Anchor website. Um, spinalfusion06 at yahoo.com is my email shoot me something um, about a question or a comment about something in one of the segments sometimes you know I say something that maybe isn't quite accurate I try to be as accurate as I can but I have people point that out to me here and there and I, I try to address it um, and if there's anything that you think would be a good segment uh, let me know um, I, I do get some good ideas from people and I try to incorporate those in the best that I can along the way i always like it when people um give me a good suggestion because i know at least one person out there wants to listen to that okay so that's good sometimes i do a segment i think well i don't know hopefully people will like this okay um and i try to get something that will be beneficial to a, a good number of you out there that are listening obviously i try to gear some things toward uh our newer umpires i think that is um a bulk of my audience uh but i know i have some veterans out there that listen as well and uh, I try to gear a few segments here and there toward them. And as someone that's, uh, I guess, considered a veteran myself, I think that um, even if I, I think it's always good to go back to basics, you know, even if you're been doing this, you know, you're a 20-year guy, just talking about basic technique for working the plate, for working bases, basic mechanics, all these kind of things, we all have to, like, have those things re-ingrained into our brain so that they're good habits again every year because we have to reprove ourselves every year. I don't care what accomplishments you've had. I've been lucky. I've had some nice accomplishments so far in my umpiring career, and I'd like to have many more. But this year, 2022, i got to prove myself all over again, and so do you guys. So don't ever forget that. There's no game that's uh, bigger than you, and uh, I don't care what levels you're working. You will go out there and give 100% every time, and uh, you never know who's watching because frequently there are people or who's filming it or where it is, and you do the best you can every time out there until you hang it up and walk off the field. All right? So until next time, especially on these new games out there, when it's cold, you guys in the cold weather area, keep calling strikes.